They may be called the next generation, but they're the church of today. Reach, disciple, and mobilize students to share the hope of the gospel. This is the GenSend Podcast with Shane Pruitt, Paul Wooster, and Lacey Via Sr. Welcome back to the Jin Sin Podcast. I'm really excited because today we have one of my favorite members of the Pruitt Pack. You've probably already seen in the title, but we have Shane's better half, Casey. Shane, Casey, good to see y'all. How was your birthday? It was a good, good. birthday. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Yeah, and you're right, Lacey. She is definitely by far the much cooler Pruitt. <laughs> too, for sure. I acknowledge that. She keeps the Pruitt pack together and moving forward. (laughs) Well, I'm really excited because today we are, um, we're talking about a topic that I don't think is at a lot of like ministry people's front of mind necessarily, but it's something that everybody deals with, everybody experiences, and they they have definitely faced it within their ministry. And that's creating a trauma-informed ministry because we really believe that churches, ministries, Big C Church, it should be a place that people can come to and just find refuge and healing from whatever they're walking through, whether that's something really traumatic or stressful or hard. And so we want to help you guys create student ministries and college ministries that are those places, because that's honestly, I feel like most of the people walking through transitions or just growing up in life, you experience hard things and trauma. And so we know that y'all are facing this in your ministry and um, Shane, Casey, I know y'all have walked through this with your kids or in honestly just like close friends and family too and their kids. So can y'all tell us a little bit just about why this topic is so important to you and your family? Yeah, so for those that don't know, our family has been made up of adoption and foster care in our family journey. And with that, there's always loss involved with foster care and adoption, regardless of when a child comes into your home. And so there's trauma involved with that. And then there can be secondary trauma for the rest of the family members as well. But um, there's just always a loss and a trauma there. So that got me learning a lot about trauma. Um, And I just am really passionate about student ministries, children's ministries, collegiate ministries, and educating their leaders and um, doing trauma-informed training for their leaders. I just feel like it's really important. And as I've, we've walked our kids through, we uh, most of our um, kiddos who are adopted are still very young, but we've seen all throughout student ministry um, that we've served in and led just different kind of traumatic backgrounds. Um, and sometimes that can be hard for leaders to navigate because they'll see behaviors and think that this kid is just misbehaving and trying to disrupt me instead of knowing that there's a reason behind that behavior. Maybe what they're talking about makes that kiddo feels so uncomfortable that the only response they know is just to be silly and outgoing and loud and be disruptive. Mm. Um, And they could be labeled as like the bad kids in the youth group sometimes. So I just think it's really important for our leaders within um, the next 10 ministries in our churches or um, outside ministries to really educate our leaders in trauma-informed leadership and the kids that we um, minister to. Yeah. And I think when you think of, um, you know, students dealing with trauma, whether they're teenagers or college students, is I think it's easy to think of, oh, students that maybe have adoption as part of their background or uh, foster care as part of their background, that makes sense. But really, when you think of like even the breakdown of the nuclear family, um, so students who have come from um, divorce, mm-hmm. um, and then we know even, you know, the internet alone has created a lot of addictions in students. So like they're getting into college and they're addicted to things. There's trauma there. So all mm-hmm. the way to say is like probably every student is dealing with trauma in some form or fashion. And I think a lot of times, especially in the, in the church and in ministry, we can go after those behaviors instead of after actually going after the root of that. Paul, I mean, you've shared a lot, even about ministering to students um, early on when you were doing college ministry in California, and how many of those students were like already addicted to things, or they had really mm-hmm. rough like home backgrounds and trying to minister to those students, right? Yes, I would say more often than not, the average student is coming into college with an addiction to pornography, or also many of them are from broken homes, and so those either the one of their 
one, the other, or both often, they come up, they show up, and they're pretty broken in a lot of ways. And uh, so there is an aspect of this healing process and working with students and understanding that going into the context of ministry that we're in. So, yeah, and I think it's just um, important to be aware of because even the things we're teaching about may have a hard time translating. My parents got divorced when I was 13 years old and my dad struggled with alcohol and wasn't involved in uh, my life for many years because of it. And so when I, I didn't start going to church till my parents got divorced. And when I first started going and heard about like a heavenly father and him loving me, that was like a really hard concept for me to really grasp when your mm -hmm. earthly father, um, you're going through really hard things with them. And so I think we just have to be aware of like, sometimes um, when kids may be rejecting something that you're trying to teach, there may be trauma involved in that response. And it was for me, I know it took a long time for me to re really be able to like view God the father as a like a loving, unconditional love type father um, versus what I was experiencing that at the time in my life. Yeah, yeah, I've had a similar experience. And I think um, that honestly, under yeah, understanding trauma was helpful for my own spiritual growth. And then also just walking alongside students and leaders and things like that and knowing because it does it, it affects your faith so much your emotional health affects how much you can mature, I think, as a believer. Um, and I know before we get too deep into the conversation, I know the word trauma is thrown around a lot. We've already said it probably 20 times in starting this podcast. And so I want to break down this word just a little bit. And so Casey, can you, I know some psychologists referred to it as big T and little t trauma. Can you kind of talk about those different types of trauma? Yeah, when big T trauma is talked about, most of the time it's into like uh, talking about something like a traumatic car wreck or a school shooting um, or physical violence in some way, or it can relate to ongoing physical abuse. It can relate to losing a parent, divorce of parents, those type of things. Um, small T trauma a lot of times is more in regards of being left out of a friend group or being bullied um, or not making a sports team, you know, those type of things that um, are traumatic to students in particular. There mm -hmm. is more research recently that ongoing small T trauma can then turn into big T trauma. So wow. if a student is repetitively being bullied or repetitively being left out of a friend group, um, that small T trauma can turn into a big T trauma that impacts their life in a much more significant way. Yeah, I feel like sometimes we brush off those little T trauma things and we're like, oh, they're just being dramatic. You know, that's not really that bad. But it it does feel so like imagine as a 12 year old, all your friends make this team or or all your friends decide to leave you out of this. Like it is formative and it really does have an impact on you. And I think as adult leaders, sometimes we forget <laughs> what it was like when we were teenagers. I always say like students like they can't see past, especially high school students and then yeah. college students, they can't see past whatever four years they're in, right? It's either mm -hmm. those four years of high school or four years of college. So those four years feel like that's your world. Like if a friend isn't talking to me, that's devastating. If I don't make a sports team, that's devastating. If I break up with this boyfriend my sophomore year of college, that's devastating. And so it's really easy as us adults to be like, okay, this is just a learning thing. We've all been through it. Like you need to get over it. But we have to put ourselves back into what it feels like as a high school student and those or a college student in those four years just fit like we can't even we can't see past the four years at that point. So what we're experiencing in those moments do shape us going forward and how we respond to things. Absolutely. And I think this is where social media can sometimes add to that a little bit, you know, and, and I'm definitely, I'm a huge fan of social media and using it for the advancement of the kingdom. So I'm definitely not that social media is only a tool of the devil. You know, I'm not that guy, you know, but like, mm -hmm. I mean, but if you think about what social media has done, especially to teenagers and college students, like, you know, you know, back whenever I was in high school and college, now I sound like, oh, God, back in my day, you know, like, uh, <laughs> yeah, you're making this worse for yourself. Yeah, yes. no, no, just dig out. But really, like, if you were left out of something, right, like, if, if all your boys went 
to the mall, you know, or if, if they if there was a party or the whatever. Mall. Yeah, that's what we did back then. Go to the mall. Yeah, you go, you go walk around. Hey, the there's mall not much to do in Waco. Yeah, that yeah, was we the went, went to the Richland Mall looking for the honeys, you know. Um, so, <laughs> oh my God, no, <laughs> no. But what I'm saying is like. If there was something going on and you were left out of it before social social media, you didn't know mm-hmm. or you didn't find out till it was weeks later and you didn't care. Like now, if you're left out of something, you know, in real time, right? Because people are snapping about it or they're putting it on TikTok or Instagram. And so when you're left out, there is real time, you know, that's happening, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that is a factor. And of course, they make it look so fun, like they're having the time of their lives. And you're just, Mm -hmm. you know, and it feels more obvious too. like, you know, if somebody doesn't post with a friend, it's like, oh, they must not be hanging out with them anymore, talking to them anymore. So there's like another level of isolation or attention to it. So I I agree. I think social media has aggravated things in a lot of ways. Um, I know this, we just saw this at camp this past summer, our church, um, has a counseling center that's part of the church. And so we had the ability to take a couple of those licensed therapists with us to camp. And I think we only took three of them. And I mean, I did not see those therapists without a student probably the entire time of camp. I mean, they were extremely overwhelmed with just the amount of students coming forward. And they were dealing with some really, really serious things. And not that we haven't had students open up in the past about it, but it was, you know, when you're talking to a licensed therapist, you, there's a different level of trust and you feel like, you know, you're, you're talking to a professional, you can open up a little bit more. And so we were just honestly, they were overwhelmed. We were shocked by the response. And so I know next year they're wanting to take double the amount of therapists wow. just because of the serious things that they were dealing with. And we take a lot of kids who are in the foster care system who are adopted. And so that as y'all know, adds another level to it of things that they're dealing with um, and processing. And so I'd love to know, and Shane, I know you mentioned this in an article you wrote, I think you wrote it this past year, um, about how a church or ministry can partner with local therapists and how can we bring in outside resources? When should we bring in those outside resources? I'd just love to kind of dive into that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it's, it's a little easier. Like if you're in a larger church, like Lacey, like you are, that have a whole counseling ministry and counseling center that's tied to the church. Um, mm-hmm. If you're in a setting like that, become like their best friends. Mm-hmm. Because like, I think one of the, the worst things we can do as ministry leaders is get into a conversation um, with a teenager or college student, and they're dealing with things that are outside of our equipping. Because yeah. if we're not careful, we can actually make a situation worse for someone. And so I think be very aware of what you're equipped for as a co- you know as a collegiate leader, as a student leader. And the moment you get outside of that comfort zone, I think quickly hand them off to someone who is equipped. Mm-hmm. And you go, well, hey, we're not in a church that has that. Like, um, I would say if you're in an area that has Christian counseling centers close, again, go meet with them, vet them, like w- let them know why you're wanting to connect with them. Because also, let's just be real. Uh, and I think especially in our culture today is you could probably, especially from a Christian worldview, if you connect them with a counselor that doesn't have a biblical worldview or a therapist that doesn't, they can actually send that student further down the wrong way if we're not careful. Yeah. So I'd say it's important to vet. So find a local Christian counseling area. Um, and you go, well, hey, we're in the rural areas. I know a lot of our leaders are more in rural, rural areas, but um, online therapy um, and online counseling is a thing that's super effective too. So, hey, reach out to others, find is there healthy counselors who are like meeting online as well. In fact, we were doing a, a coaching network um, uh, recording um, an online event last week in our youth leader coaching network. And we had an LPC on talking about some of this. And she said, there's actually a bill now where they're hoping to be able to change where you can actually meet with counselors outside of your state. Because typically you have to stay within your state because of insurance reasons, but they're trying to pass a bill where you could like meet with a counselor, maybe from Louisiana and you're in Texas and do it online. Insurance would still apply. So we hope that goes through. I think that'd be a helpful thing. But um, anyway, I would say like, just make those connections in the moment you get outside of your equipping, hand them off to someone who is equipped to do that. 
So I say, do your homework on it. Be proactive. I think a lot of times as leaders, we're more reactive. So we have a student that's struggling and go, oh, now I got to find somebody to help this student. No, no, be proactive. Have those things already in place so that when that student comes down that, that, that alley towards your way, you you're ready to be able to minister to them and their families. Yeah. Yeah, I would I would piggyback on that. And we were learned the hard way in Chico is because we're it's it's more of a it's less of a Christian area. So the amount of Christian counselors that we would really feel good about passing off students, so to speak, to them was very small. And so we ran into some of the issues of having students we were working with and kind of hitting that dead end or or that that spot where we felt like hey, this aspect needs to be dealt with by professional. We can still keep discipling. And so even kind of separating those two elements is like personal discipleship, that like their spiritual growth is going to be one of the things that's going to help them the most with their their mental health and things like that. But they should also get help on some of these other issues. So it's not an either or thing. It's a both and kind of approach. And But we did kind of struggle at at first to kind of think about, well, who do we pass them off to when, when something like this comes up? So it's better to have that and just know that on the front end with all your staff, all your leaders, like this is the kind of go-to on that. So. Yeah. And Lacey, I think another thing too is, is to bring someone in who can speak well on this and even bringing them in and to train your leaders, because Mm -hmm. I think there's some everyday things that we may do that is not helpful. And we may not even be aware of it. We're just kind of operating in ignorance because we're not aware. We have some blind spots of things that we may be saying or doing that's actually causing more trauma or reopening Mm -hmm. some of those, those trauma wounds. And Casey, you talk a lot about that. Just some of the stuff we don't even realize we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think we're sometimes the words we can say or how we're communicating um, because we don't know it's not out of being unkind, um, but it's out of not knowing. And so I think the, you know, the training and informing your leaders is just so key. And like Paul was saying, setting up a game plan beforehand and every student ministry, regardless of you're in a tiny town in Texas or a big city, you know, youth group in New York, like you have kids that are experiencing trauma. It does Mm -hmm. not matter their background, their race, their economic status. I think sometimes Um, We can have certain demographics in our youth group that we think like, oh, we're good. Like we're, you know, our kids are on the cheerleading squad and head football dude and doing these things or doing that. But um, it's just not the case. So many of them are experiencing things at home um, that they're hiding. Their parents may be coming to church with them on the weekends, but their home is an unsafe place. And we've been experienced that where we've been leaders at church in the suburbs and kids are struggling in really big ways, you know, with home life or maybe even experiencing abuse at home that you would never guess that their family was the one that would be happening um, in their house. And when we've also been leaders at church in um, more of a city dynamic where we had a kid come to youth group one week on crutches and we're like, Mm. what happened to you? And he's like, oh, we were Mm. at a party and a rival gang drove by and shot up the party. And so we had like bullet wounds in his leg. Um, And so it's just, it does not matter the demographics of your youth group. Like Mm -hmm. this is happening. So if you can set up something beforehand and training your leaders, I think is like, and with the online resources there are, there's really no excuse for anybody not to be able to do that. There are so many resources that you can have for your leadership to be able to know how to navigate those things. So we're not totally caught off guard when we have students coming to us saying, my dad is molesting me at home. What do Mm -hmm. I do? Or my mom is abusing me at home. What do I do? Or my parents are having this horrible divorce and each talking horribly about each other. What do I do? Um, So Mm -hmm. setting those things up or having a role, I just did not make the cheerleading squad and I'm absolutely devastated. Mm -hmm. What do I do? Like those things are something that training our leaders and how to respond and Um, I think it's just so important. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I think especially because I feel like a lot of these, the, these bigger things do come out when you're at a retreat or at a camp, when you have this like uninterrupted time together with these students or, you know, 
um, just, you know, even if it's just a full day kind of thing with them. And just as you build that relationship with them as well, more and more will come out and, and things like that. Is there a or is there a like resource or would um, a strategy for, hey, before we go into this camp or before we go into this retreat, we want to sit down and, and set some time with our leaders about, hey, mm. these are the resources we want you to either go watch or listen to or, hey, we're going to do a, a quick um we're going to take part of the leader meeting and talk through here's our game plan. If these things are brought up, is that something, is there a strategy there? Is there something that, that uh, ministries could do before big events like that? Yeah. I mean, I think there's lots of resources online where you can have Christian trauma informed um, trainers, either online or in person. I love in person if possible, just so as there's questions, there's someone that can answer those things for you. And sometimes it's okay to tell students like, hey, I don't I don't really know, but I'm going to figure out like a way to help you. I don't know is much better than trying to say something um, in the moment to try to fix whatever's happening. And then it makes it worse. And sometimes parents need to be involved is dependent on what's being told to you. And mm-hmm. so um, finding online resources or having someone come in person of just the, you know, you could deep dive into trauma-informed training and you could study it every day and still not know. I'm still learning, we'll continue to learn, but there can be a basic knowledge for our leaders. And um, and it's interesting, I think, as that starts to happen, you may have leaders that be like, oh, I have all these unresolved traumas in my own life that I need to deal with as well. And so I just think it's... um, it can be so important. Like I mentioned earlier, I initially started looking into more of trauma-informed training based on us adopting. But I think the culture in which we live in, um, there are just so many students experiencing really difficult things at home and just knowing how to respond in a loving, Christ-like way. Um, and I think in addition to the trauma-informed um, training, I think what we're teaching our students is really important as well. Um, I'm all about fun and doing things in a fun way, but if we're not equipping our students with like the actual meat of the gospel and the Bible, like it's not going to sustain them yeah. in their hardest of life circumstances. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so we just recently, for those that don't know, just lost mm-hmm. um, our son, just went home to heaven about six weeks ago. And we have uh, kiddos who are in a youth group um, in our family. And it's important that not only what we're teaching them at home, but what they're being taught on Wednesday nights and on Sundays is something that can sustain them in traumatic events. Mm And we're making it all fun and games and, you know, just an encouraging time all the time where, you know, Jesus is your best friend and all of those things. Well, if Jesus is my best friend, then why did my brother just die? You know, mm-hmm. how do you how do you equip yeah. students to grapple with my dad's molesting me? How can a good and loving mm-hmm. God allow that to happen? And so I think the trauma-informed training is obviously very important, but what we're actually giving our students on a week-in and week-out basis, I just feel is like the most important thing because are we equipping them with knowledge of the truth of God and the truth of the Bible and the truth of the gospel. So that when, when, not if traumatic events come, are they going to run to a God that they've been learning about? Or will they be like, okay, well, I've just been hearing about Jesus being my friend and throwing snowballs at each other in the middle of July. Like Mm -hmm. those things aren't going to sustain them. And I think sometimes Mm -hmm. we look at students like, oh, well, this is a Deep, mm-hmm. deep theological concept or these things are hard to grab they're dealing with hard things wow. so they can handle the work like they yeah. just can't and so that's what we need to be giving them on a regular basis because the silliness that sometimes can happen in student and collegiate ministries will not it, it just will not sustain them and so mm-hmm. what are we giving them on a regular basis i just mm-hmm. think is one of the most important things we can do when walking with kids through trauma, because ultimately, regardless of trauma for training, like Jesus is what's going to bring the healing. Um, mm-hmm. The training is important and how we handle students is important, but like he alone is what will give them life 
He alone is what will bring them healing. He alone is mm -hmm. what will sustain them in like the deepest, darkest moments as our girls were having to literally sit in our house for 10 days as our brother was on hospice. Like silliness at a youth group is not what is going to sustain them. Like mm -hmm. knowing that Jesus is good and kind in the midst of watching your brother go home to heaven. Like that's what's going to sustain them. So what are we giving our students? Um, that's so good. I would, yeah, I mean, uh, one of the conversations we have, um, we've had on the podcast before is about deconstruction. And a lot of times people starting their deconstruction process was having a false view of God. Yes. And this kind of Jesus is my friend only kind of mindset or this almost prosperity gospel light type teaching that they've had. And then when something happens that's traumatic they blame god mm -hmm. instead of going digging their roots deeper into god and so yes i think that's another really good proactive approach is making sure we're giving a good theology of god of the fall of suffering of the realities of life in the midst of our our regular teaching of the word of god to young people and so that's kind of this it weaves this is very this trauma informed conversation i think is very close to the deconstruction conversation which is mm. is interesting to me yeah i think it's an indictment of us as the church of what have we been feeding people for so long that when they go through a traumatic event the first reaction is god is not good or kind so I don't want anything to do with him because he promises me happiness and comfort and good things. And if I follow him and I walk in mm -hmm. obedience and all of these good things are going to happen. Problem is, that's not what the Bible teaches. There's very <laughs> many times throughout scripture that people are walking in obedience very closely with the Lord and extreme suffering is what mm -hmm. is in response to that. Mm -hmm. And so we have sometimes especially in the west when especially when it comes to students but i would say with adults as well mm -hmm. um have made our faith to be something so shallow that when life circumstances rock us to the very core we really do not know what to do and mm -hmm. as i feel like millennial parents right now we have pass that down to our children so like what was entertaining and good to us now is being passed down to them and so when they are facing traumatic experiences they don't know what to do with it because their parents didn't know what to do with it as well and so i'm just i think especially as what we've walked through in the last two months even more so passionate about trauma-informed training but also of like what are we as a church giving the next generation. Um, and I tell my, my, I keep saying my girls because they're the two oldest ones. They're in the student category we're talking about. Um, but I just keep telling them like the Bible promises us suffering. I mean, I just, it's not fun. I hate that reality, but it's just true. Um, but it also promises that God is with us in the midst of that suffering. I always talk about when we go to Africa, um, when you're in Africa, it's, you know, we're enduring suffering or trauma, um, but the only way we can get through it is by relying on God. Like we know God is here. We know he is with us in the suffering. And so we're going to trust in him, even though we, you know, are suffering and, and experience trauma in ways that many of us could never even fathom. In the West here, it's, I'm suffering. How could God let that happen to me? <laughs> and so we have created this and titled comfortable relationship with the Lord that when our life circumstances are really difficult, we blame him instead of run to him. And so I just think we have to be really careful on what we're teaching our students. Like God does not promise them comfort. He does not promise them ease or even happiness. He promises us joy regardless of the circumstances that we're in if we have our faith in him. And so I just think if we're going to really want to have trauma-informed ministries, we have to give them the only thing that will bring them peace and comfort and joy in the midst of the trauma. Yeah. 
Lacey, you're right. I know. He's the that, most cool Pruitt for sure. Uh, yeah, that is such a good word. And it, it <laughs> resonates so, so yeah. much with my life experience because I lost my dad by suicide in uh, 2017. So I was 19 and it felt like the last domino on like a lifetime of just one thing after another. And I just remember like throwing my hands up and I what I thought of in that moment was I had become fascinated with the persecuted church early on in high school. Um, I don't know how this happened, but I just did. And I remember in this moment just feeling like, wow, I don't really have anything right now. I mean, like just feeling like my world was crumbling. And I mm. thought of those people, I thought of persecuted Christians and I thought this this is life. Like this is the Christian life. Like God is still good to me. He is still a good father, even with this happening. Wow. And I, and I remember a friend gifted me or a friend or a mentor gifted me, um, Tim Keller's book on walking with God through pain and suffering. And it was the first time I'd really understood the theology we have and how powerful it is when it comes to responding to pain and suffering compared to every other thing out there, every other religion or spirituality. I mean, nothing gives us hope like the gospel and there's mm. no other response to it. And it, it was the first time I really wrapped my head around how powerful and thankful and good I was that I had a hope and that I had the gospel that I could cling to in that moment and I, I think it, yeah, it goes back to a lot of times. Yeah. We just think, especially in the U S like, Oh, the American dream. And that's like what we attain to. And that's what we think we deserve. Kind of like you said, we have this little, we kind of have an entitled faith a little bit. Um, I recently, and I, you touched on this a lot in what you just said, but I recently read a article in times magazine and I think it was super interesting. I'll put it in the show notes if anybody else wants to read it, but it was, it was talked about how we have reached this peak mental health care yet. We are reporting the lowest rates of excellent mental health. They had a scale and we're at the lowest ever in our lifetime since they've been doing this. And of course, you know, there are a lot of factors at play, I think here, but I, and I know you all have seen this in the next generation. We are seeing a generation come up more anxious and lonely and all these things that they're dealing with. And they're more medicated than ever. And in this article, they kind of unpack, like, is it that people really do have more chemical imbalances and mental health disorders, or is it that they don't have a response to the pain and suffering and stress that life throws at them. And what was so shocking was most of these therapists and psychologists who are in this field said, most people just don't have a good response to it. Like they don't need, they don't need anxiety medication. They don't need depression medication because they don't truly have an imbalance. That number is pretty small, but we have this massive population that is on it because it's kind of a bandaid. We we're not solving. They, they admitted we're not solving the root of the issue. We're putting a bandaid on it because that's all we can do. There's too much. We can't go and, and, you know, change their life or force them to believe in, in something else. And I ended the article actually pretty excited because of this. I thought, wow, mm -hmm. like Christianity, we have such a unique opportunity to, share with one of the loneliest and most anxious um, generations that's coming up. And we have the opportunity to share with them the hope of the gospel because we do, we have such a unique response to pain and suffering and stress that we can give them. And so I know Casey just gave an incredible word on this, but um, do y'all have any more thoughts about how we can just, again, disciple and equip our people, even our leaders and our ministries to face different sufferings in life? I think one more thing that I think is important is teaching our students and leader a healthy view of our feelings and emotions. <laughs> we are in a culture that like yeah. the way I personally feel trumps all, right? <laughs> so if I'm very sad or I'm very upset, um, then that's valid. Even if it's not valid, sometimes mm -hmm. we don't, we have let um, our feelings and emotions yeah. rule everything. I mean, there are many moments in our house where we have lots of emotions from lots of different little people. <laughs> and they're like, but this is how I feel. And I'm like, I understand that's how you feel, but that doesn't mean that that is true. So sometimes our feeling, you know, the Bible says the heart is mm -hmm. deceitful above all things. And our heart can deceive us mm -hmm. in a way sometimes. And so I think, again, 
what we're teaching our students and what we're pouring into them, giving them strong biblical truth so that when their feelings um, feel something different, they still know what is true. It's something that in the last two months, I've even had to be very careful with myself, watching our son pass from this life into heaven and being home with Jesus was the most torturous thing that I have ever personally walked through. And my heart and feelings and emotions were all over the place. I had all Mm. of these different feelings and thoughts, but because I was anchored in the fact that Jesus is good, kind, and in control of all things, even when my emotions felt something else, I still knew what to be true. And so I think that's important as well. We have a culture screaming at this generation that like their emotions and how they feel and their own personal truth and their own personal walk, mm-hmm. like is what is most important. And we just have to equip them that like their identity isn't in themselves, mm-hmm. that their identity is in like Jesus alone. And mm-hmm. so I just think we have to be really careful with that as well of yes, emotions are important and feelings are important, but they don't rule all. And as they have a culture screaming at them that how they feel and this is just who I am and this is just how I react to things. I'm just anxious. I'm just worried. It's just how I am showing them that that isn't what their identity is, that Jesus gives them our identity and they can have peace and joy regardless of what their feelings may be showing them. Yeah. Yeah. And I just as Casey was talking about that, I just thought about um, I love first John 320, which I think is such a relevant verse for today, where it says, uh, when your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. You know, God is faithful. He's greater than your heart. And he knows all things because like and we know in the New Testament, the heart is, you know, the Greek word cardio, which means desires, emotions, feelings. And so it's like the Bible saying those things will condemn you they will deceive you but in those moments you got to be reminded that god is greater than the heart and he knows all things because our feelings don't know all things but yeah like case said like you've had millennials and now gen z and alpha generation come up and i mean the anthem is follow your heart you know follow your feelings follow your emotions follow your desires and we'll follow those right into a ditch so i think it's in those moments where sometimes they're like even though I don't feel like it, sometimes that's where your mind has to out-trump your heart to go, I know God is greater. I know this is true. I know the scriptures are true. Even if I don't feel like it in that moment, I got to rely on the I know truth. I would say another thing, just kind of going in a different vein a little bit in that same context, I think, Lacey, what causes some of this too, especially with young people, college students and teenagers is, and I want to be careful how we say this because I know this is another kind of term being thrown around today but it's kind of true i think on some level is i think there's a social contagion a little bit to a mental Mm -hmm. emotional health Uh, meaning you know whenever i was younger um paul remember when we were younger you know we're the old men on here like when we were younger like our generation when we were teenagers and college students i kind of related to this uh like add or adhd like we all thought we had add or adhd whether we did or not like we were self-diagnosing right so we may have never went to a doctor we may have never been prescribed anything diagnosed with anything but we'd make excuses like, oh, I can't do that. I got ADD. <laughs> you know, like, well, who told you that? Like, you never, you hadn't even gone to a doctor, you know? But like, if you're around college students or teenagers for longer than five minutes, you realize there's a whole generation that are doing the exact same thing. But instead of ADD or ADHD, it's depression, anxiety, mm-hmm. right? So they're like, they all think they're anxious. They all think they're depressed. Um, or, you know, let a 15 year old in a group of friends say they're anxious or depressed. Now, all of a sudden, the whole group is anxious and depressed. And yeah. so I think that's where we do have to go back to discipleship is like, hey, your heart, your emotions, your desires, those are a gift from the Lord to worship him with and to love your neighbor with. But they were never meant to be your dictator. They were never meant to be your idols. They were never meant to be your lowercase g gods. And so um, all that to say, I think that's where we have to be better at discipling and better at educating leaders is um, we don't want 15-year-olds diagnosing other 15-year-olds with anxiety mm-hmm. and depression. We don't want mm-hmm. 20-year-olds diagnosing other 20-year-olds with anxiety and depression. And I think a lot of that is what is happening now. 
Because like you said, Lacey, most clinical psychologists and counselors will tell you less than 10% of the population actually deal with clinical anxiety, clinical mm-hmm. depression. But now when you have Gen Z saying half are dealing with depression and anxiety, where's that coming from? I think there is a lot of social contagion to that. I think there is a lot of self-diagnosing. I think there is a lot of, well, I'm struggling being a teenager and college student living in this fallen world, which we all are, but then we're attributing it to other things because we haven't been given the tools to actually know how to navigate this world um, with the power of the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus didn't promise us an easy life. He promised us us eternal life. And Mm -hmm. I think we have to help people understand that. Yeah, I would only thing I would add is kind of the the mindset that we have as ministry leaders. And yes, we do uh, acknowledge the fact that all these things are realities. But I found that the ministries that have a really good um, equipping ministry of helping students get their eyes off of themselves and onto the mission of Christ they tend to see people do better. <laughs> so not that it's the whole story, but when someone, when a student can learn, because they're made to live for a cause that's bigger than themselves. Right. So the cause of Christ, the cause of advancing the gospel, of making disciples of all nations, that is something that can help them get their eyes off of themselves and on to serving the Lord. Now, that's not a silver bullet and it doesn't fix everything. But I have found that ministries that have that equipping and evangelism and expectation to even be a part of the mission tend to end up with healthier students than those that are strictly a internal self-focused kind of um, type of mindset. So that's that's just something to keep in the back of your mind in this conversation is it's a holistic approach um, as we as we move forward. For sure, a both and. I think sometimes yes. it can be an either or in ministry mind sometimes, mm-hmm. but I really think it's a both and. Like yep. without what Paul is saying of equipping our students to live on mission and beyond themselves. Also with having a knowledge that some of them are experiencing really traumatic things mm-hmm. and knowing how to walk with them through those things. Um, it's really a both and. Yes. And to neglect either, I think can be really detrimental for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know we've talked a little bit about as a family, y'all walked through some really hard things and have walked through adoption multiple times and just handled a lot of grief and joy within the same hand. Um, And so I want to talk about when it comes to supporting a family. So, you know, if there's a student in the ministry Um, And when it comes to supporting the family as a whole, what are some things that a church has done or a ministry has done or even just a person that have really impacted your family as a whole? And how can people really come alongside families who are walking through really hard things? Yeah, I think there's a large percentage of students that may come without their parents. Um, We had that a whole lot, depending on where you I think depending on where your church may be located. And so I think as a student ministry or college ministry, college ministry can be different because they're living away from their parents most of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, For student ministry, um, connecting to their parents, I think is incredibly important. Sometimes students can have their view of what they're going through and then reality's view of what they're going through. (laughs) And so I think uh, connecting with parents is really important. Um, I know that for our girls and student ministry, their leaders have loved them really well um, over the last couple months or so, sending text messages, having TIFFs treats delivered, (laughs) uh, cookies, Um, just checking on them and loving them, but also giving space. We have one, our girls are very different. And so how one would love to be loved on is very different than the other. So the one that needs space, they've given that to her where they're not just hounding her down. Um, I think that's important, but I think just loving, sending text messages, DoorDash has been an incredible gift. Um, And so those type of things I think is so important. I think for collegiate uh, students, it's a little different because they're without their family most of the time. And so I think, but the same things can apply of like having cookies or Starbucks delivered or just taking them out to eat or hanging out with them 
showing that you genuinely care about what they're going through, I think is the most important thing. Genuineness, authenticity, that you don't just see them as a project mm -hmm. or a check off the to-do list. I think if there's anything, just being genuinely who you are towards them, I think is so very important. Um, for our oldest daughter in the youth group, that has been the biggest thing for her connecting and being a part of her student ministry because some of the leaders are not like, they're not the same like as our daughter, but it's genuinely who they are. And so that's connects to her in such a, an amazing way because they are genuinely just, they're not trying to put on a show for anybody. And so I think just the genuineness, authenticity, mm -hmm. showing up, crying, hugging, just being there in a genuine yeah. way has made the biggest impact for all of us. Yeah. And I think if you're trying to really minister or support a student or a family through times of trauma or grief is like, um, like Casey's saying, I love that the tension of like, you don't want to be overbearing, right? Because you don't want like, they're already carrying a heavy load. So you don't need them to carry your load too, you know, by being overbearing, but I would say be um, proactive and show the initiative. And, and I kind of even learned this in my own journey of grief over these last couple of months of like, cause I used to probably be that guy like, Hey, I want to give some space. So I'd just be like, Hey, thinking about you, let me know if you need me. But when we're doing that, we're kind of inadvertently putting the ball in their court and they're barely making it through the day sometimes, you know what I mean? Cause it's, they're going through trauma, they're going through grief. And so you're putting the ball in their court to go, hey, if you need me, then come chase me down or come, you know, find me and then I might help you. And so I'm like, so I would say, like, don't just go, hey, I'm here if you need me, like be proactive. And maybe that proactive is just sharing scripture. Hey, um, I prayed for you today and this is what I prayed. Uh, yeah, hey, here's a mm -hmm. gift card. Uh, here's some treats. Um, we're here we want you to know we're here. Yes, we're here in case you need us, but we're also going to constantly remind you that you're here. Because um, I'll just be honest, some of the, the the people that reached out to me, Darren, especially that extreme time of grief, that was all like, hey, here if you need me, you know, I'm like, thanks. And that's probably about where it's going to go. You know what I mean? Because I'm not going to chase someone down when I'm the one struggling. So, you know, big time. And so I would say, hey, be proactive and those kind of things. I think that's like super helpful. And then I also want to say this too, like if someone's gone through something extremely traumatic or they're going through a time of grief and you are reaching out to them and they're not responding, don't get your feelings hurt in that or don't take it personal. Sometimes right. people are just trying to make it through the day, not even trying to make it through the day. They're trying to make it through that hour. So I would just say, don't make it about you going, hey, well, I've been reaching out. You didn't reach back out. I guess you don't need me. You know what I mean? Don't make it personal because now what you're doing is you're adding more grief you're adding more trauma onto them what they're already trying to navigate so i just say if they don't respond or don't even respond in a favorable way or maybe they respond in an aggressive way don't take it personal because they're navigating through a lot of hurt and grief in those moments you know wow. Yeah. yeah, the ministry of presence can be so powerful. Like I, I'm like, man, never underestimate just the ministry of presence, whether that's just being there, just a text, whatever it is. Yeah, just letting people know you're there means so much. And I, I want to end by this. I think we've kind of acknowledged this, that at some point, every person is going to go through something traumatic, whether that's big T, little T, most likely a little bit of both. But it's, whether it's a loss, illness, some other thing, people are going to walk through really hard things because we live in a broken world. And even I love what Jesus says in John 16. He says, in this world, you'll have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And so I would love to just end with this. What encouragement or resources would y'all give to a ministry leader that wants to become more trauma-informed? I know we just scratched the surface. So if they just want to keep going on this journey, what encouragement would you give to them? Yeah, I think you can probably go online to so whatever area you're in and look for like a trauma-informed uh, like trainer or practitioner that can come and just share with your student ministry um, or with you, and then you can share with your student ministry. I do want to encourage you, it does not have to be some in-depth four-week, it can be an hour, just a scratch the surface. We want to give you some knowledge it can, I know this sounds overwhelming and can feel like a lot, but if we can just give our leaders like 
a basic knowledge of mm -hmm. trauma and how trauma quite literally changes the brain. If you look at a brain scan of someone who has not experienced trauma, and then after they have experienced trauma, their brain literally looks different on a brain scan. And so just giving that type of knowledge of how we interact with students, of kids or college students who are going through hard things, it really does change their brain makeup and how um, mm -hmm. their brain looks. And so I would just encourage you to, I, it's hard to give resources because we're all in different areas, but going online and looking for um, trauma-informed trainers in your area um, and just loving students well and giving them Jesus and the gospel and being genuine and kind um, in the midst of their trauma and being there. Because even if you don't have the knowledge, but you're genuine and show up for them and love them well, um, you will be a safe space for them, even if you can't necessarily relate to what they're going through. Yeah, I love that. And then I'd say the other thing I would add is like, I, I think anytime in our ministries, we can be proactive instead of reactive, we're always going to be better off. And so I would say if it's just you, you're the only leader, or if you're working with the team, um, get together and go, hey, what are some possible scenarios that may take place in our collegiate ministry mm -hmm. or student ministry? Mm -hmm. And then what is going to be our response of ministering and caring well for that person in that situation and having a plan ahead of time is always going to be better because sometimes we wait till something happens and then that person needs help in ministry, um, you know, done and to help them in a immediately. And we're still scrambling, trying to figure out what we're going to do. And we're kind of wasting precious ministry moments there trying to figure out what we're going to do when that person really needs our immediate response. And so I would say be proactive. Go, hey, if when students show up um, to our student ministry and they have a foster care background, how are we going to love them well and care for them well? Make sure we're speaking in a way that doesn't cause more trauma for them. When adoption, kids from adoption show, um, when a kid that does have abuse, that's a part of their their testimony. Or, you know, when uh, if we have students and their family goes through a divorce, how are we going to love them well? Um, hey, when we have students and maybe they lose a sibling or a parent to death and they're grieving, how are we going to care for them well? I would say have those scenarios and conversations ahead of time figure out what your response is going to look like ahead of time. And that way, when those things happen, because they will, if you're around people, they're going to go through trials and tribulations. And so when that happens, the faster you can respond, the I think the more impactful our ministry is going to be. Yeah. Anything you would add there, Paul? Yeah, I think just approaching this whole conversation with humility, a lot of times as us as ministry leaders, because we study the word of God and we read a lot and we just kind of, sometimes it's easy just to approach everything. And some of us are more type A, we just like fix everything when really the best approach of a lot of these situations is to slow down. If you don't know the next step, take the humble approach and love people, not fix people. And so that would be kind of my my uh, last thought there. But hmm. Well, this has been an incredible conversation. I know we've probably gone a little longer than other episodes, but I think it was worth it. And we will have more resources. I'll have um, the article I mentioned that Shane wrote and some other things in the show notes. So be sure to check those out and subscribe so you can make sure that you know about future episodes. We'll see you next time. Thank you.